to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The way to assure that our names are written in the book of life, there's only one way to assure that, and that is to put our personal faith and trust in Christ. That's how you know. And this is something that nobody wants to be vague about because I can only make sure that my name is in the book of life while I'm alive. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, in a message titled, The Final Judgment. Now, here's Pastor Brian. People are going to be judged based upon the things that they did. That is what we are told here. And as we look at the totality of Scripture, what it comes down to is this. Every thought, every word, every deed are all being recorded. Jesus said an astounding thing. He said, every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. The day of judgment he's talking about is the day that we're looking at here. He says, every idle word. So every idle word that's been uttered is being recorded. Every word, every deed, every desire. So again, for the person who thinks, you know, when I get there before God, I'm going to tell him a thing or two about what was real. No, God's going to tell us what was real. And this isn't going to happen, but let's just say if it did. You know, as, as the case is being laid out, if someone were to insist that, no, 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 that, that's not really the way it happened. Okay, well, let's just open the book and see. See, it's all there. The thoughts, the intents. The Bible reminds us that God tries the thoughts of the heart, the intents of the heart. And those, those are all of the things that are taken into consideration. So there is the book of works, the works that we have done. The other book, I think, is the book of the law. Because the Bible says that it's the law of God that is the standard by which we are going to be judged in the end. For those who do not receive God's grace and his mercy, then the law will become the standard. Jesus said that heaven and earth would pass away and not one jot or tittle would pass from the law before heaven and earth passed away. Now, that's significant considering the fact that we live in a time where the, the public voice is saying, we don't want to hear about the law of God. We don't want to even see anything that reminds us of the law of God. Our courts have gone so far as to say that it's unconstitutional to have the Ten Commandments posted in a public place, although they are posted in the Supreme Court, the very court that says you can't post them in a public place. But this is, this is the mentality, but it's that very law. And when I say the law of God, the book of the law, we're talking about the summation of the law, which is made up in the Ten Commandments. 
there's other aspects, of course, to the Mosaic law that were, had to do with the ritual, had to do with the legislation of the nation, but, but the core that's applicable to all people, all nations for all time, are the, the Ten Commandments. And so here's a book with everybody's deeds, everybody's desires, everybody's thoughts, everybody's intent. It's all, it's all recorded there. There's the book of the law, and it is all there to testify. But then there's the reference to the book of life as well. Why is the book of life opened here? The book of life is opened here so that it might be scanned, I believe, to show that the person who is being condemned does not have their name written in the book. Now, this then leads to the sentencing. And we read as we go on that they were judged according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we have a reference to the lake of fire and the second death, and they are essentially the same thing. The second death is being cast into the lake of fire. Why is it the second death? Because, of course, it follows after the physical death comes first, but now this is spiritual and eternal death. That's what's being described here. So the lake of fire, remember, is where the beast and the false prophet and the devil are at this point. Now they will be joined by all of those who have followed Satan throughout the ages. You see, remember, Jesus told us that this place, this lake of fire, was not created with man in mind. God did not create this place for people to be cast into. Jesus told us specifically that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, but yet it will be populated by human beings. Why? Because human beings have followed the devil in his revolt against God. And so their ultimate destiny will be the same as his, to be cast into the lake of fire. Now, as we think about all of this, and as we let it really sink in, of course, there is that temptation. There can be that temptation on our part to think, well, I don't know, this all sounds so severe. It all sounds so heavy. I don't know if this is really fair. But listen, remember this, that, the, that this judgment comes after every attempt on God's part to turn men from sin and rebellion to himself has failed. The people that we're talking about here are the pharaohs of the world. And I say the pharaohs of the world because maybe you remember in the story of the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says to him, thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response is, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? And Pharaoh persisted in that attitude all the way to the end, even though on 10 different occasions, God gave him an opportunity to change his mind. That's what we're looking at here. 
Every single person that's here is a person who, in a sense, is like Pharaoh. They have rebuffed every opportunity that God gave them to repent. And they've maintained until their dying breath that attitude of who is the Lord that I should obey him. It it is astounding to think that there are people that are in that kind of an entrenched position against God, but it is a reality. Not only that there are some people, the fact of the matter is that most people are like this. So remember that. These are those who we read about earlier in Revelation. Maybe you remember as we've been going through Revelation on a couple of occasions, we, we read about those who despite all of God's efforts to turn them from their sin, the judgment that's being poured out, all of the things that are happening, that it says that they, they still did not repent. Even though they knew that it was God's judgment, even though that uh, the angels were flying through the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel warning about receiving the mark of the beast and all of those things, even knowing all of that, it says they still did not repent of their sorcery, of their fornication or sexual immorality. They did not repent of their murders and their theft. And the things that that he mentions there, actually the 21st chapter, the eighth verse spells it all out. Because once again, it describes those who will be in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. It says they are the cowardly. And cowardly here refers to those who were cowardly in the sense they would not stand for God against the tide of evil. They were unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. So again, lest we somehow get tempted in some way to think that there's some sort of unfairness on the part of God, know that that is not the case at all. You see, what we really are dealing with here is those who are possessed with the Invictus spirit right to the very end. The Invictus spirit is expressed in William Ernest Henley's poem, by that same title. It's a poem that you will have at least heard part of it. Let me read it to you. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. And then the most famous stanza, it matters not, listen to these words, it matters not how straight the gate, Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, the scroll of scripture the warnings of judgment. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is the heart that is just resisted to the very end. Every effort on the part of God to bring that soul to repentance. These were the words uttered by Timothy McVeigh. 
before he was executed for his crimes in Oklahoma City. But again, my point is this, this is the attitude that has brought every single person who will stand before the great white throne. This, in whatever way it was manifested, this is the heart that has brought them to this place. They have brought this eternal judgment upon themselves. They have refused the mercy of God. And now there is no further opportunity. And to me, that is the most horrifying thing of all, to think of that. And of course, we have the reference here to the lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone. Some people have said, well, you know, Revelation is full of symbolism. That's probably symbolic, not real. Well, you know what? If it's symbolic, it's telling you something that's really, really bad. Whether it's literal or symbolic, it's, if it's symbolic, it's a picture of something that's like that. But the, of course, the, the torment, the great torment of eternity for the lost will be this, no doubt, that they put themselves there. This is the, the, the ultimate regret. And again, to think this through for a moment and, and to put yourself in this place just for a moment, think about shunning God, rejecting those opportunities that he's extended to you, those opportunities to receive his mercy, and then finding yourself suddenly dead and in an irreversible situation because that's where everybody is at this point. It's an irreversible situation. And they are there before the throne, like I said, not to determine whether they will be allowed to go into heaven, but to be publicly sentenced for their crimes against God and to be forever banished from his presence. Now, again, let me make this clear. This is not a judgment for believers. Some people are confused about this because we are told that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. No, the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment are two totally different things. The judgment seat of Christ is a place where believers will be brought before the Lord to be rewarded for the things that they have done in the body, for the things that God has appointed for us as his people. And there will be the reward for faithful service. There will be a lack of reward for unfaithfulness. There is a, a slight bit of possible negativity to that, but it, the issue there is not eternal salvation. You see, eternal salvation is determined now by what we do with Christ. So believers appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of those at the great white throne are, as I said in the beginning, they are all those who have died in unbelief, they have died in rebellion, they have died refusing to submit to the authority of the one who made them, and they all will discover immediately that they were not in control of their own destiny, but that God finally is. 
Now, that brings us finally to the book of life. And later on in Revelation here, it is referred to more specifically as the Lamb's book of life. And so, as I said, we see here in the text that the book of life is there at the final judgment. It is to show that their names are not written in it, but no one written in the Lamb's book of life will experience the second death. What is the Lamb's book of life? It is the record of all those who have been washed and made clean in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. That's what the Lamb's book of life is. It gives the names of all those who have put their trust in him. It is the list of the names of the citizens of the everlasting kingdom of Christ and God. How does one's name get put in the Lamb's book of life? Well, it is put there as we put our faith and trust in Christ. All the references to the book of life in the scripture are referring to those who have trusted in Christ. Now, here's the thing that we have to remember. Everybody's name could have been there. Everybody's name should have been there. And you know, there's even one possibility that originally everybody's name was there. Because Jesus died for every single person who ever has or ever will live. And so it's quite possible that those whose names are not there have had their names removed. But you see, God's desire is that everyone name be there. We know that not everyone's name will be there, but it's not because God doesn't desire that. Jesus died for everyone. So potentially everyone's name could be there because God is not willing that any should perish. God is desiring that all people come to repentance. That's the message of the gospel. And the way to assure that our names are written in the book of life. There's only one way to assure that, and that is to put our personal faith and trust in Christ. That's how you know. And this is something that nobody wants to be vague about. I don't want to have any uncertainty as to whether my name is in the book of life or not. Because once I'm dead, there's nothing that I can do about it. I can only make sure that my name is in the book of life while I'm alive. And so God gives us those opportunities. But you see, we, we don't know when the, the opportunity will pass and pass permanently. Now, some might say, well, look, you know, I just don't believe this. I, I just don't believe there's this kind of a judgment coming. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe in death? Do you believe you're going to die? Whether you believe it or not, you're going to. You can't stop it. It's inescapable. There's nothing you can do about it. There's a moment in time, death's gonna grab hold of you and pull you down and you're gone. And you can fight and kick and argue and scream and protest, but there's nothing you can do to prevent it. You know what? Death is just the first phase of judgment. 
And just like there is death, because the reason death exists, according to the Bible, it's all connected. It's connected to sin. Were it not for sin, there would be no death. The fact that there is death, to me, is one of the strongest proofs that everything the Bible says is true. There's nobody that can explain why we die. And everybody admits that no one really wants to die. And everybody tries to some degree or another to get it out of their mind that they're going to die. But it's inescapable. You can't prevent it from happening. And likewise, the judgment that follows is equally inescapable because it is appointed to men to die once. And after this, the judgment, they go hand in hand. So if you doubt that you're going to be judged, then you must doubt that you're going to die. And if you doubt that you're going to die, you're under a delusion. There's no escaping it. But the escape is, of course, in regard to the judgment aspect of it. For no one whose name is in the book of life will stand before the great white throne to be judged because our sins have already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And Jesus said this. He said, whoever hears my voice and believes in the one who sent me, John 5, 24, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Passed from death. There is no second death shall not come into judgment. There is no judgment day. You see, Christ took our judgment. That's what was happening on the cross. And so the thing that we want to do while we have the opportunity is to make sure that our names are written in the book of life. You know, as a lady was leaving the service earlier this morning, she said, oh man, I, you know, I, she, I don't remember the exact words, but it was sort of like, I want to work harder to make sure my name is written in the book. And a, a friend was with her and she says, oh, honey, you don't have to work any harder. Your name is written in the book because you believe in Jesus. She was right. I was going to tell the lady the same thing, but her friend got to her before I did. So as we're looking at this, what are we talking about? We're talking about believing in Jesus in the, in the truest sense of what that means that we have been washed and cleansed in his blood, that our sins have been atoned for, that our names have been written in his book. And again, the book of life contains the names of all those who have believed in Christ, believed in him. That's the way to know that your name is written in the book of life. Do you believe in him? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Are you following him? Are you loving him? Are you living for him? Because if you've truly put your faith and trust in him, that is going to be evidenced by the fact that you're, you're living a life now that is devoted to the one who loved you and gave himself for you. And so may there not be a single person here with us today or listening to us today that has not made sure that their name is there in that book of life. If you haven't opened your heart to receive Christ truly, 
I urge you to do that today. For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. With all the violence, oppression, and bigotry that has been carried out in the name of Jesus throughout church history, many today are questioning if Christianity is actually good. In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon takes a critical look at the history of the Christian church, both the horrific and the honorable. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you will understand Christian history with the help of historian John Dixon through a balanced and honest examination of both the good and evil of church history. If you've ever struggled with the atrocities that have been committed by the Christian church, then you need to get this book because the worst of church history is only half the story. The book Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.